Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Sammy Marks, Coors, and Chris Ranji back together again here in 2024. We're glad to have you with us uh, today. We will be visiting with uh, Eric Schwartzel, who's got a really interesting story. He is a reporter with the Wall Street Journal. And um, Amy knows a little bit more about this than I do. She's the one that 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 brought up the story to me. But he, it, it's something with artificial intelligence, and he's got a body double, and it's very weird. Went to Hollywood and to figure out, okay, so you can make an AI version of me and put it in movies, and to see yourself yeah. acting out in movies on screen, but you weren't there, right. and you it's never just, said those look. words. Ooh, I don't, know, I don't know about that. So this is really cool that he did that. He's with the Wall Street Journal. He's been reporting on Hollywood. It's, you don't want to miss it. But we go to the Quiver River Electric guest line for the first time this morning, and we welcome in Linda Gradstein, CBS correspondent, who is visiting with us from Jerusalem. Linda, we appreciate your time this morning. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you guys? We are, are doing okay. And as the world has been, um, you know, Directing its attention toward Gaza and the conflict with Israel. Um, obviously, we've been paying attention to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine for now a couple of years. It, it almost um, there there is a a side story that's happening here, which is kind of a bigger deal than I think the attention is being paid to it, and that is with the Houthi militants and the uh, attacks that have happened at sea over the last several weeks. So for people who are not paying attention to what's going on there, can you give us an idea of the situation? Sure. So the Houthi militants are affiliated with Iran, and they have been launching attacks on uh, all, on various uh, shipping places. And, uh, you know, in, and, and have been, they actually boarded one... Um, uh, one vessel, and they say that they are going to di- disrupt this shipping as a sort of, you know, warning to Israel. And um, uh, it, it's been, it's a very strange kind of thing. And the uh, some of the larger shipping uh, companies have now said that they won't use um, these, these um, the straits anymore because um, because it's it's dangerous and they've said that um, they, they're attacking ships in the Red Sea uh, and uh, they've sent quite a few missiles uh, the United States has actually uh, killed at least 10 Houthi rebels who attacked a, a ship in the in the Red Sea and the US Navy has sunk three Houthi boats in the last couple of weeks um, but it's basically a proxy war uh, you know where where the Houthis are filling in for Iran well, and, and what does, let's go back to the commercial shipping, because this is one of the most important commercial arteries when it comes to shipping across the globe. I think it's something like 12% of shipping goes through the Suez Canal, the Red Sea, and that now as many as 12 out of 14 ships are rerouting and take a, taking a route that is thousands of miles longer to avoid this area. 
What does that mean, firstly, uh, economically and commerce-wise, when it comes to goods and services and supply chain? Right. So first of all, it, it, it means that prices are going to go up uh, and already have gone up on a lot of goods. Um, and, and some of these missiles, by the way, about a month ago, uh, ballistic missiles struck three commercial ships. Um, uh, although, as far as I know, there haven't been any casualties, but you're going to you're going to see prices go up um, and some companies may choose to sort of halt shipping or to do it, uh, you know, to to take, use fewer ships. Uh, so there could also potentially be shortages of various goods as well. And again, now then going back to the military aspect of it, these this rebel group, Iran-backed rebel group, terrorist group, launching missiles at ships, are we just kind of allowing it to happen and being reactive? Is the United States taking any action to deter more Houthi attacks? Well, the United States had moved two aircraft carriers to the Red Sea, uh, although it has since pulled one of them back. Um, So, you know, the United States doesn't want to get into an all-out war. It says that it's going to consider all appropriate responses, but have not actually uh, done any uh, attacks and have just responded to attacks that have happened. Yeah, and and the question is whether, um, I don't want to call it inaction because it hasn't been that, but what some people think is not aggressive enough action on the part of the United States whether that is a leading to more attacks, is that it, it? Would that be a fair assessment? You know, again, it's hard to know. Um, it's certainly a possibility, um, and they've also fired missiles at uh, you know long range missiles at the southern Israeli port of Eilat, which were uh, struck down. Uh, you know, the, by Israel's uh, Iron Dome and, and anti missile system. I mean, it's certainly a possibility. On the other hand, I think the United States does not want a war with Iran and so is sort of trying to react but not react too much kind of thing. Can you explain President Biden, um, his administration, administration ending the terrorist designation for the Houthis? I know it had to do partly with aid going to Yemen, but... Can you suss that out a little bit? Will Are they still considered a terrorist organization for all practical matters? I think they are, yes. I mean, I don't think that anything has changed. In fact, I think they've sort of stepped up their activity. Um, but I think it's the problem is, is that if... Uh, a country, if a country is run by a terrorist organization, then the United States cannot deliver aid. And, you know, there's been a, a, a long-time humanitarian crisis in Yemen. So I think, as you said, I think that was the main reason for dropping this uh, terrorist designation. Visiting with Linda Gradstein, the CBS correspondent, uh, talking with us from Jerusalem, and the news of a the, the Hamas uh, number two in charge, Uh, who was killed in what they are calling a terrorist attack. I don't know if we have any details on who is responsible for whatever happened, but we do know that over 100 people have been killed. He is is one of them. What is the latest on that situation and what... Sure, but I think you're confusing two separate attacks. 
the Hamas guy is named Salah Aruri, and yes. he was killed by an Israeli, well, assume, allegedly killed by Israel, a precision-guided missile that killed seven people, okay. all Hamas members. And then there was There's a terrorist a attack, attack separately. in yeah. Iran, right, yep. which, which apparently Israel is not involved with, and, and it's not clear to me who was, but um, that's a completely separate attack. The <laughs> one of... So just so we don't get confused, sure. the one of Salah Haruri, which does seem to have been done by Israel, even though Israel has not accepted responsibility publicly. Uh, but the way the attack was done and Israel has said that all of the Hamas leadership are targets. And in fact, the head of the Mossad said that anyone who was involved in the attack on October 7th has signed uh, his own death warrant. So that one was was, uh, you know, pretty much done by Israel. Now, um, Salah Haruri is the most senior senior Hamas uh, official killed by Israel since the war started. Um, Israel has, in fact, not been able to kill the local leadership, Yahya Sinwar, Mohammed Date, the people in Gaza. There's The people abroad are mostly in uh, Beirut, as in this case, or in Qatar. Now, both Hamas and Hezbollah, since Hezbollah is uh, part of uh, the Lebanese government, have threatened to avenge the Israeli attack. Um, and Israeli, the Israeli army is on high alert. And there's a lot of tension about what both the Hamas and Hezbollah response are going to be. Yeah, that, that's really the question is there's always been this undertone of fear of escalation. Um, you, you know, there, I think there are some parties that are more concerned about escalation than others are. What happens next is the thing that everybody is worried about. And how much can they really escalate that they weren't going to do anyway? Well, so in Gaza, there's not much room for escalation because it's about as, you know, there's very, very heavy fighting. It's about as escalated as it as it can get. Um, however, uh, there could be, you know, Hamas has a lot of supporters and even more now in the West Bank. There could be, you know, uh, suicide bombings inside Israel, as we as we saw during the second intifada, where buses were blowing up and things like that. Um, however, from Lebanon, and I think Israel is more concerned about a Hezbollah response because so far, despite the fact that there have been almost daily clashes between Israel and Hezbollah across the Lebanese border, uh, and Israel's goal is to push Hezbollah back further so that it can't reach Israeli communities. All the Israeli communities along the border have been evacuated, and people can't go home until they feel that Hezbollah can't attack their communities. Um, however, both Israel and Hezbollah have sort of um, tried, I think, to keep everything on a fairly low boil. They don't, neither of them want a full time, a full out war. Uh, Hezbollah has 150,000 rockets that could reach all of Israel. Um, Israel has said that if Hezbollah attacks Israel, it, Israel will consider Lebanon responsible and will attack Lebanese infrastructure. So I think that, you know, neither Hezbollah nor the government in Lebanon want to see uh, Beirut looking like, you know, Gaza looks like today. So, so far, they've been very careful. Um, but, you know, the, the sort of truism about war is that it's very easy to get into a war. It's not so easy to get out of it. Uh, so any miscalculation uh, that, you know, let's say if, uh, uh, you know, Israel is fires a missile at, at Lebanon and a bunch of kids are killed, or if Hezbollah fires a rocket in response and, you know, a long-range rocket that, that hits uh, a school in, in Israel. So 
there's possibilities for escalation that neither side might not want. And that's really what the tension is these days. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Al-Aruri was uh, part of the hostage negotiation for the release of the rounds of hostages that have been released. Does this complicate that now? Yes, it does. Very much so. Um, And in fact, um, Hamas uh, yesterday after the attack said that the hostage negotiations are off completely in response to the Israeli attack. Um, I'm not sure that's really true. That said, uh, you know, in November, there was a week-long humanitarian pause. Israel didn't want to call it a ceasefire, but there was a week-long pause. A hundred hostages were released. Uh, And now what they were talking about was another week or two of a humanitarian pause and 35 to 40 hostages, mostly elderly people, women, um, and uh, and young young men who but who had been very injured would be released. Those talks were not close to fruition in any case. These talks are very complicated. They took a long time last time, and they're even more complicated now because uh, there are very few women and older people left. Um, so, I, you know, Hamas said that it would complicate it. Uh, it may well have caused it, you know, to slow down a little. Uh, but I think those talks are still going on. And the fact is that Qatar, which is the main mediator, has not commented at all on the assassination of Salah Haruri. Linda Gradstein from Jerusalem, CBS News correspondent. Thank you for the information today. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.